I'm Fathery. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 154th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we have deep talks about Star Trek, where we're going to give you a deep analysis of this latest episode of Trek. I'm talking about Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 2, Episode 4, Magato Gamato, written by Ben Rogers. I just learned as also the voice actor who voices uh, Lieutenant Commander Stevens, or Steve Stevens, as we learn his first name in this episode. And he was the story editor on the show, and he also wrote Crisis Point in uh, Season 1. And this episode was directed by Jason Zurich. And uh, yeah, so before we go into that too much, just want to let everyone know about some some news we have coming up uh, next week, Wednesday night. So that'll be September 8th on Star Trek Day. Uh, we are going to be doing a live stream that night. is going to be kind of late because I don't think they're actually kicking off the uh, Star Trek Day stuff until 7.30 Central Time. And so it's, it's supposed to run two hours, I believe. So I don't think we'll start streaming until like 10 p.m., uh, but yeah, we're going to be discussing that. I, I think we can expect a lot of news for Prodigy and Strange New Worlds and new seasons of Picard and Discovery. And uh, they're also going to be, you know, doing some reflections on some of the legacy Star Trek shows. That's what we call those now, Brian. Uh, they're called the legacy Star Trek shows. That's what they call the uh, the pre-2017 shows. They're the legacy shows, Now, is, is TOS legacy or is it still classic? Um, well, I don't know, because that was kind of, uh, th- there was a, a big movement to make it not be called classic, because that sounded old, so that's why, like, they want, like, uh, Mike Okuda was, like, really pushing, like, the original series, and, like, T.O., it was successfully, like, T.O.S. is how it's been branded for a while now, but, yeah, so I don't know, I, I would say, like, classic was always kind of, like, an unofficial, I think legacy is, like, like an official terminology now that, like, CBS is using. Oh, right. <laughs> The, the the crazy thing, Brian, is that like we have like so much news coming out next week, and it's like there's like big news this week. Like they've uh, the, the the Borg Queen is returning on Picard. We saw the uh, the Prodigy uh, opening title sequence. Got some casting news for that show. Uh, but yeah, like that, that kind of pales in comparison. To, you know, oh next next week we're probably gonna get like a Strange New World trailer and probably like a prodigy trailer or like and get like the confirmation, like the release date for prodigy and you know, all kinds of uh, stuff. So it's like, yeah, just, it makes me remember like the days where like you would go like uh, check out like the websites, like Trek core or Trek movie. And maybe like 
once a month there would be like some new articles about like some new Star Trek news going on. But like it would announce us like, you know, weekly, I daily. Mean, they generally had articles more often, but but of of news were the uh, of that was yeah there there was it yeah sometimes it would go like, a pretty long time between news worthy articles right exactly but yeah now it's just uh you know a constant thing so uh but yeah I don't know if if you saw the the prodigy casting but they have the the big bad of the show uh John Noble who I've I've never watched Fringe but he was like the uh, the old scientist dude on Fringe. I I know him more as a Denethor from from Lord of the Rings. He's Boromir and Far Faramir's father, the 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 regent the, or the steward, the steward of of Gondor. That's another franchise. We don't need to go into that. And then uh, uh, Jimmy Simpson, who people seem to know him from Westworld. I haven't watched the Westworld show. He's also in. He was in the uh, Star Trek episode of Black Mirror, though. He's one of the dudes uh, imprisoned. Uh, I don't want to spoil that. The U- USS Callister is that the name of it. But yeah, yeah, he's he's one he's one of the the crew members on that. He's gonna be, uh, well, I guess, uh, the the robot uh, bad guy, uh, Dreadnought. Like that's kind of like Dreadnought. It's easy to remember. Perhaps too easy. I can't I can't <laughs> stop thinking about the Dreadnought. Well, uh, like Rock Talk. Rock Talk's pretty easy to like. Which Prodigy character is called Rock Talk again? It's like, oh yeah, the one who looks like a big rock. Yeah, oh, that one's pretty easy. Keeping it simple, but I don't know. I I've had to memorize so many character names. I, I I'm not going to complain if they make it a little easy sometimes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing that stream Wednesday. Uh, if if anyone knows the uh, the one and only the great Captain Pikachu, uh, she's going to try to join us. So that'll be exciting. We'll have a a new guest on board, and yeah, I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. So. For sure, uh, check that out if you can watch that live on YouTube or even catch like the stream later. That's where we're going to be talking about like all of that news. Uh, but on with the show, we have this uh, Mugato stuff to talk about, or Gamato, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, there, as this episode proves, you know, pretty flexible on the on the uh, pronunciations. Uh, uh, we're just gonna both give our opening statements, and then we're gonna give our episode breakdown where we talk about it in more detail, but. Just to express kind of our, our general broad thoughts on the episode, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, but yeah, like, I, I've noticed this episode has gotten a lot of hate uh, today. I, like, I keep seeing like a lot of people calling it like the worst episode. Not everyone. Some people are really liking it. I was kind of surprised, though, uh, because I, I felt like this was kind of a run-of-the-mill episode of, of Lower Decks. You know, for me, I probably didn't like it as much as the last two that we had, but I liked it more than Strange Energies, so it's... You know, it's not even like the worst episode of the season, and I I uh I laughed out loud quite a bit at this one. Um, I can kind of understand some of the criticisms. It, it kind of starts off on like an awkward foot, like you know, for me with like the uh kind of the violence of the the opening. Um, it felt a little weird. Uh, but then when I saw the title of the episode, Magato Gamato, that was such a deep cut in a specific reference to the. Well, what we'd always consider like the misspelling of Magato in the uh, end credits of the original series episode of Private Little War, that it immediately reminded me what I liked about the show, and I kind of like fell back in love with it. And by the end of the episode, I was okay with everything and and had a pretty good time. The A story was a a, a little silly. Um, well, I guess like all the stories were a little silly, and uh, I laughed quite a bit though. And I've always kind of with watching Lower Decks, I've always kind of had the you know get over it's a little 
too silly here or there, but I've I've already made peace with that. So this was just kind of like another uh, another typical like lower decks experience for me. Uh, but Brian, uh, what about you? What was your uh, reaction to Magato Gamato? Well, I'll, first I'll say I'm shocked that this episode is not well liked, as it feels pretty middle of the road. What I expect from lower decks, maybe yeah. maybe a tut. Uh, you know, I, I better, you know, better than the first half of season one, pretty much. But uh, I, I, other than that, very, very standard. You know, I guess on a lower deck scale of one to ten, I'd give it a six. You know, it's, it's uh, it was fine. Um, uh, yes, I, I laughed. I thought it was cute. It was fun. I, and there, there were some minor points that I, I some minor flaws but they were very minor and i i as soon as you know within seconds had forgotten about them as we'd moved on to other story points and and uh other things happening in it um so i'm i'm surprised that this is the one people have uh, people have grabbed onto to not like since uh yeah it had uh, the overt substance is, of course, there. There is this conservation of of endangered species message, which is is, is kind of just taken as writ. It's not even they're they're they so it's so far beyond preaching it. It's just oh yeah, of course these guys are bad guys, and and they're you know killing magatos to take their horns. We have no real trouble hating these people, uh, and and feeling uh, angry at these Ferengi. So yeah, there's a conservation message, and there's it takes up a lot of the story, but it never feels heavy-handed to me, at least, because it's it, it, between the fact that the it, it's it's a very black and white conservation message, and the jokes and the the lack of serious and the sense of fun about the episode that um honestly I find it I found it less preachy than Star Trek Four. Uh, and then there's also a, a meditation on compromise and what makes compromise work and its value and its and its its drawbacks and they don't get too deep with it but they do bat it around in a way that honestly the rest of Star Trek hasn't done that much Star Trek loves compromise but it's usually just deployed as a the same way a a phaser on stun is they, they, Oh, this will solve the problem. Compromise. Boom. It's a good thing. Uh, this actually plays with challenging compromise, questioning compromise, but not in the usual, well, how many times am I going to get in the be bed with the devil type of way, but more of a, of a, of a personal toll that compromise can take on you. Uh, so, you know, there was, you know, something going on with it. It wasn't particularly deep, but it was enough to make me feel like it was, more than I was here for more than just the laughs, which, you know, made it a fine episode of, or a decent episode of Lower Decks. I just want to read a comment in our live audience from Geek Filter, a.k.a. Aaron Harvey, the man who literally co-wrote the book on the animated series, talking about the original animated series and uh, designed the book as well. Uh, Aaron, uh, great to have you here. And uh, he he says it felt like a standard sitcom plot convenience from the 1980s. I expect more from Lower Decks. I believe he's talking about the A story with Mariner being the suspected black ops agent that we're about to get into, and how uh, they they could have just like talked to her earlier in the episode, and I guess they would have figured it out uh, a, a bit sooner. And uh, that wasn't a, a particularly clever uh, story, and in, in his opinion, I, I I can certainly see that. And 
But but Aaron goes on to say the compromise part was the best part of the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think some people were just uh were just kind of uh grossed out by by some of the some of the humor. It's just uh they they've they've never gone like this on on this show on Lower Decks. They've never gone like uh, we'll talk about all this in a moment. But as explicit with you know like like the uh, the sexuality or like sex jokes or with violence. They've never like used like like death as a joke before which they 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 did in this episode that's kind of a first for the show and i was actually okay with it and i'll explain why when we get to it and uh there what else was uh, in here there's this kind of just felt like it wouldn't bother me but i could say like some people would would be like oh yeah it's like a little like crude and dumb but yeah we're gonna go ahead and move into our episode breakdown and we're gonna start things off with that with that a story with the black ops mariner what was what was interesting is that they kind of pair up, you know, last week, Tindy and Mariner, and this week, Rutherford and Boimler, which I, I liked that uh, part of the episode. That was something that Mike McMahon said we'll be getting more of in season two. So now I'm hoping that we'll see like a Boimler and Tindy story or like a Mariner and a Rutherford story. But I hope they can and, and mix and match with like the uh, the senior officers too. like like, I don't know. What about like Shax and Boimler on like, you know, they're stranded on a planet together, you know, something like, you know, like uh, Tiana and Rutherford. What would their relationship be like? I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, but yeah, Brian, let's just talk about like the the setup in the opening. You know, we see them working out at the gym and they get the the crazy uh, and Anbo Jitsu fight where I was really shocked, like how violent they got with it. Like, uh, uh, I guess it was supposed to have like some shock impact, but yeah, they were like knocking each other's teeth out. And it was like, Oh wow. This is like really weird and jarring. She cut Boimler's leg open in the first episode. So like, this is totally fair. Well, That was an accident. This is like kind of on purpose. Yeah. But it's also purpose. She said, come at me basically. Yeah. That is the nature of the game. That's why, Uh, that's why it works. So that's what the intention was, is that like, they, they like get one good hit on her at the very beginning. And, uh, you know, like, (laughs) give her a a bloody nose and a broken tooth or whatever and then it's like okay now it's it's go time but yeah just for me it was like a little jarring but it it actually does like a lot of good setup here because you know it kind of reminds us that oh yeah she is kind of uh on another league than them and it's they make a point to mention later in this episode that she's specifically like really good at martial arts so it it didn't feel like a little you know too forced mariner being the badass at everything in fact like she's saved by these two by the by the end of the episode yeah. but uh but yeah then we, we we get the juxtaposition of that to like then we see them you know recovering from their injuries but they're playing diplomat yeah concerning i i mean i didn't feel anything was forced everything that happened uh, the twist that mariner beats the shit out of them once she knows not to hold back is the if you've been <laughs> watching this show the most obvious and predictable thing that could happen so much so that I felt there was absolutely no humor in it because (laughs) of course Mariner beats the crap out of them once she knows not to hold back. That's just how this show works. And in such a way that I was, I actually rolled my eyes. So despite saying all this nice stuff, the fact that Mariner just kicked their asses completely. And I think she had to, because it sets up the secret agent line. So I guess that, that, 
if you're going to have this opening, that is the only resolution to that scene that's going to work with everything you've got planned for the rest of the episode. But I did find it a bit eye-rolling, just that Mariner, of course Mariner's better, can take on both of them at the same time. So. No, it was just like the intense, like, oh, like this armor, like this uh, safety equipment that's like specifically designed for the sport is like being like shattered in there. And like, I get like, they have like really advanced medical technology, but I was kind of surprised to see them with like teeth knocked out. I don't know. It's just, uh, the, the intensity was dialed up, but I think yes, because it would have been kind of predictable. So they probably needed to amp the intensity, but yeah, then we get the scene later where they're in the bar and they're talking to the, the bartender, uh, Honus, who sounds like he's like from Maine. He sounds like there's like a character on South park that shows up sometimes to like, uh, he's supposed to be like this like old superstitious guy who's always like, uh, you don't want to go down that road. There's a lot of bad stories, you know, like oh, he says like the scary ominous stuff. It almost felt like they were directly referencing that. But yeah, when he, he sets up the, the black ops rumor that that she's supposed to be this this elite and deadly dangerous black ops operative. And they're like, oh, yeah, that does explain a lot. You know, when they start looking into her record, it's kind of like that. um you know, like, kind of a conspiracy theory thing that happens, but, like, if you start, like, looking for, like, these connections, you know, they're kind of easy to find, and so, yeah, when they you look at, like, her service record, and, oh, she was on this one ship where a bunch of people disappeared and all this stuff, and and then when she catches the tricorder, which we later learn is, like, a lucky catch, which they actually played it like that, which is like, oh, wow, did you see that? Like, I can't believe I caught that, so... Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of our our setup for the the two of them and Mariner. And the, the criticism that I I keep hearing was that like, oh yeah, they should just like have like a conversation with her. They should just talk to her, and this all would have been resolved. That's not how this show works. I could totally <laughs> buy that. It's like I could totally buy that they wouldn't ask her. I was actually surprised that they denied the rumor for so long and said it was bullshit. And I was like, oh, good on them for being a bit more intelligent than I was expecting them to be in this show. <laughs> Um, so, and I wasn't, okay, she caught the tricorder and now they're starting to have doubts because that's the way these things work is they wiggle into your mind and suddenly you're noticing every little detail that reinforces the conspiracy theory. Well, I just assumed they were scared, like, if they blew her cover, like, she would, uh, you know, have to do yeah. something to silence them. But yeah, I guess they yeah. could have, they could have clarified that. I, I mean, I, I had no, I didn't need any clarification. These two are actually absolutely the sort of people who can run down, let their imaginations run away with them, and 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 let <laughs> let it lead them to do some mildly crazy stuff. And nothing is actually all that extreme. They basically don't let it affect their jobs or behavior until they see her ripping, eating, a, eating another Starfleet officer. And then, and only then <laughs> do they decide to let their imagination, their, 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 their crazy conspiracy stuff affect the jobs and decisions they make. So for these two, this is actually really restrained in professional behavior <laughs> by the standards that these two characters operate in. Um, I did want to ask, do we think that board game, I mean, I like the idea that we're addressing the cynical nature of compromises and that, that, you know, it makes both people miserable. Do we feel that's, is that too cynical of a take for Star Trek? 
um, for for this board game to exist. I, I'm sure Gene Roddenberry would have said nix this board game immediately had he heard about it as a well, standard Federation game. But. I mean, he would have mixed the Wrath of Khan too if if he. Well, had yeah, yeah. I, I, are we okay with the idea that people get around and play compromise the board game where it's only a compromise if everyone's miserable? Is is that too antithetical to the future Roddenberry wanted to build? I mean, I don't think that the game depends on you being miserable. I think that's just, like, how they framed it, is that, like, uh, everyone loses in a compromise, which I guess is partially true. It's the same as, like, every... It's kind of like glass half full, glass half empty take. But you know that the game is called Diplomath? Like, like math? Like, M-A-T-H? I assumed that this is probably, like, a game that, like, kids would play a lot to, like, practice, like, math, and it's... It, it ties into how they save the day at the you know the end of the episode because they probably had to like uh, you, you know when they're negotiating like calculate certain like percentages and i don't know stuff like that that they they bring up here and yeah. then you know later with the the ferengi that's where like the math aspect yeah. would come in so i, th- I thought the fact that it was like oh yeah it's kind of like an educational thing to teach kids about like compromise and also like uh practice their math skills i don't know it made sense yeah. to me yeah, I, I I decided I liked it, but I could see that if that's what people didn't like, it does. I, I could understand the, the argument for sure. Yeah, yeah, but I I too thought the game was clever enough, and the the commentary on the human condition that it made was clever <laughs> enough that it justified its existence more, more than justified its existence. Uh, is as Rutherford have that bandage on a bandage on his hand there? Oh yeah, yeah. Is- if if you're watching the video of this, we have like an oh, image yeah. pulled up where he's okay. Yeah, no, right, that's right. They got beat up in the ambu ditch. Yeah, they're thing, they're both so, yeah. bandaged up pretty, which is weird. We typically don't see like band aids like that, so I don't know like why they couldn't just have be like healed in sick bay with the. I mean, the the obvious answer is because like they wanted like the visual humor of of them with all their bandages and, on. And it. Mariner has no bandages. Does yeah, she? It, or did you? <laughs> um, in our live audience, uh, Jill or AKA. I think we're being silly billies is her username of this week. She always changes her username every every week to match the uh, episode we're talking about. But she says, I don't think both are dissatisfied as cynical. It's a well-known, long-standing joke about compromise. I feel like it's a well-known, long-standing, cynical joke, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. it didn't I, bother I, me, but I could see how that could irritate someone. It's absolutely true, though, and because it's true, I feel it earns its place in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to deny. Uh, you know, I think there's there's two ways to look at it. It's like, uh, everyone's going to get some of what they want, but everyone's also going to get some of what they don't want, you know, in a, in a compromise. There's no such thing as a new no-lose scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you also get into the um, Magato, or the uh, Magumo, or the... Uh, Klamamoto or whatever you want to call them because apparently you know however you say it's cor- correct but uh yeah the uh, the Tommy Gatos or whatever they're on this planet Frylon for different planet from I think it's called like like new nu- neural neural and neural yeah yeah it's, a, it's a private a really little weird word name <laughs> good, good smart move you know use the iconic Mugatos but don't use that planet because you know we don't have room for like the the villagers and the hill people in this episode. Well, I think that's the whole plot point. I, I, it's a much more interesting because it's not their home planet. You're like, what the hell? You can totally see why Starfleet would be like dropping everything and sending a starship there to find out why these, you know, things that aren't supposed to be there are there. 
But I appreciate how they took the time to explain everything about like, oh yeah, we can't scan for life forms because of the big electrical signals. And, you know, Shax leads the team down to the planet's surface, but they can't bring phasers because they're, and it's funny how they explain it. These are endangered animals and the phasers will will hurt their reproductive organs. So we don't want to stun any of them. So don't even bring a phaser with you. I mean, yeah, realistically, why wouldn't you just bring the phasers and then tell everyone don't use them? They're not, in theory, these are trained professional Starfleet officers, not children. They're, if you tell them not to use the phaser on the Mugatu, <laughs> they won't do it. Because uh, then you have to take the time, like, getting them out of the locker, and you probably have to, like, register in the ship's yeah. computer, like, who is being assigned <laughs> phasers, and I don't know. It's just easier now, to beam down without them. I, I will say... This is exactly the same plot point from Aliens, one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. So if it's good enough for Aliens, it's good enough for here. So I can't really say it's unrealistic if it was good good enough for Aliens, where they take everyone's bullets away because we can't risk you hitting the reactor. So, uh, so we have to take all your guns away and then send you in to fight Aliens. I remember the other the other gross out factor. By the way, it was uh, shacks and the uh, the dung eating and and the fact that like they <laughs> they they're real showy about that. They kind of like put it in your face twice that he's doing that. And, and I laughed at that. I thought it was funny. I thought Shax was kind of cool when he's like running through the jungle like Tarzan. I was happy to see him you know do something cool. But yeah, it's like the dung eating. I think the uh, later we'll see a dude get his head bit <laughs> off in the uh, the. Magato mating. I think it was all like a little too much for some people. Not for me, but you know, some people. Yeah, I'm fine with. Shax appears to be some sort of mythical person from Haiti, Bajoran Haiti, or something, (laughs) or whatever, uh, wherever it was. Coulson came from. He was like he had to have been like a guerrilla fighter during the the occupation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I the idea that he's kind of got this feral woodsy thing going on, survivalist thing going on, felt very natural to me. Um. Why don't they just wait till the storm's over before they beam down? If the storm's going to stop them from communicating. The fact that like, you could like see the storm from space. I thought maybe it's like a consistent thing. Like, I don't maybe this planet. Well, they have, said like, it was moving storms. in. So presumably huh. it would move out at some point. Uh, and they don't really establish a huge time a ticking clock that says, no, we've got to do this right now. Um, and they don't beam down with a bunch of equipment, like tents and stuff, as far as I can tell. I did love that they're sent on what is essentially a dog catcher mission. They're basically, you know, animal control. I love that that's, you know, on one hand, it's this big mystery. How are the Magato on the wrong planet? On the other hand, they're just dog catchers. I I really enjoyed the way they made that that intersection between mundane, embarrassingly, humiliatingly mundane, and yet still an interesting little mystery to solve. Um, so, yeah, nicely done, writers. Brian, going into this episode, I don't know, did you see, like, the preview for it or anything? Did you know that there would be Magatos in this episode, or that there would be the, the Ferengi? Like, I thought that was so cool no. when I saw this. I, I, I didn't see it coming. The the Ferengi seems like the perfect villains to use if you want like some animal cruelty guys. Yeah, of course they would exploit these uh yeah. these innocent animals. I don't know. I, I like mean, I as like far the reveal. As, yeah, yeah. For black market horn trade, they were the 
like it would have been a dumb if they'd picked any other species. So really, they they were the only choice, uh, and I was quite pleased with their use and execution here. I did not see any spoilers. I'd avoided. Uh, I, I I didn't see any trailers or anything, so I had no idea what was going to happen <laughs> until it happened. Yeah, well, okay, I, I, knew. I knew the episode title was like Magato something, but I didn't really like look at it too hard. It was like, oh, it's like oh. Magato <laughs> guacamole or something. I don't know. When I saw the the title card on screen in the episode, because they do the old school, actually put the name of the episode on screen, which I appreciate, and I kind of wish they would all do that. But I was like, oh, that's what, yeah, the Gumato, that's what it called the dude in the the end credits. That's so funny. It's kind of like the We'll Always Have Tom Paris, or the the name of the episode is one of the funniest things about it. And, and there's other funny stuff in it, too. Uh, but, yeah, we... Uh, get the the encounter with the Ferengi. There's a uh, Magato escape. I, I've heard a bunch of people compare it to Jurassic Park, and I see that someone pointed that out in the audience. Now we, uh, I guess, get confirmation that Ferengi have orange blood. Uh, when this happens, a, a Magato actually like stabs his horn through a Ferengi. And I was trying to think, have we ever seen Ferengi blood before? I went back earlier today and I watched uh, some of the Deep Space Nine season seven episode where. Uh, there's the mission to go get Jadzia in Stovocor and Quark goes along on the bird of prey and he cuts his hand and the duck tog when they all do like their, their blood oath to go uh, get revenge for Jadzia before they go on this dangerous mission against the Dominion. And you actually don't see any blood there. And I don't know if that's the only time that they would have shown Ferengi blood possibly. I, there's once or twice where Quark got the shit beat out of him. And, and I remember him sitting in sick bay getting patched up or whatever. I don't know if we see any. I know there's bruises, yeah, um, but uh, it, it, it's. I don't remember if there's any signs of dry he, blood he got scabs. Beat up by those Nausicans that Brunt had in Bar Association, and then in the uh, the the Circle or one of the Circle trilogy episodes, the first one I think, um, he got burnt on his on his head. They burnt that that mark on him, and he had to go to sick bay for that. But I don't think we see blood in either of those. I think those were both yeah. bloodless. Uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, Ferengi have orange blood. We'll see some more alien blood later. But uh, th- this is where we have that crazy stuff you were talking about, where to them it looks like Mariner is is killing and eating shacks, which when I saw this, I was like, oh, my God, that is scary. I don't know what's going on here. I would I would freak out, too. I would run away, too. Yeah, I, I was in the same boat. I was like. Clearly, something has happened to Mariner, and things have gotten weird. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was, I was kind of enticed, though. I was like, "Oh, I, I don't know what's going on here, but I want to know now." Like, I was like, "I, I, I, I wonder how they're going to be able to explain this." So, you know, kind of, a, it kind of made me more invested in the episode. Yeah. And I hadn't actually ruled out the possibility that Mariner was going to turn out to be some former special op. It didn't feel like that would have been that out of character to find out that she used to be some black ops character. And it didn't, and it felt like it might explain a few, uh, smooth over some of the weirdness of her person, her, her character and backstory or her skill set and, and reactions to things. So I was a little, you know, I was not actually, and the fact that, our heroes immediately say it's bullshit also made me think, well, if the dummies are saying it's wrong, then it's probably right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was, I was keeping an open mind mm. on whether or not Mariner was special ops. I didn't think her biting shacks had anything to do with her being special ops, but I was thinking that something had gotten her head and screwed her up. 
Yeah, like it's kind of hard to justify um, stabbing and biting a superior officer, especially if you're in like a dangerous situation like this. Um, but no, it's like that old, uh, yeah, suck the poison out thing. I don't know if that actually works, by the way, but that's been in like a ton of like movies and shows and stuff. And maybe it if a Bajoran gets bit by a Magato, who's to say it won't work? It, it, it works in TV land, and this is TV land. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, you know, how many people has Kirk knocked out with one punch? Not just Kirk, but every Star Trek yeah. character. If In Star Trek, if you need a bad guy to go to sleep, you can just punch them, and they'll go to sleep every time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have the, the two morons running through the forest from the Magatos. They uh, uh, run into our Tellerite guest star of the week. We have a uh Tellerite character Patingi, who I guess enough time has passed, like Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, has been dead long enough that we can we can parody him like this. We're like this character gets kind of a you know gruesome gruesome ending. Yeah. Uh so I I guess enough time has passed. Yeah. I, I did that did cross my mind, but I was never on that bandwagon, so I can't speak to that. I, I would you'd have to ask somebody who was a fan of his. But I did find this the whole arc with this guy felt like padding. Like they realized this episode was just needed another couple minutes of stuff. And they said, well, what if they find somebody in the woods and they have this little moment with him and then he dies. And then we're back to the main story thread again. And, uh, that, that it, it wasn't all that funny of a joke. I thought, and, it was. I thought the, oh. the five books joke, I, th I thought that was really funny. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't think it was all that funny and it didn't seem to contribute to anything. We don't later find out why he's here or, you know, he doesn't. It just seems like this random encounter of the woods with another sapient being for, for no reason that that I don't know, just felt weird to me. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't think it ruined the episode, but I think you could ch edit it out of there and you'd never miss it. <laughs> but I think that's part of the humor also is that you kind of feel like, oh, he's going to play like a bigger role or something. And then he's like uh, almost immediately killed off. And I just like loved that joke of, uh, oh, I have five books on uh, Mugatos. <laughs> and, 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 and they're like, oh, are you going to write about us? And he's like, oh, no, I don't write books. I've just read five. It's like, no, like I own five <laughs> books. And, uh, then, and like as soon as you realize that, like oh maybe this guy is not an expert that's when he gets his head bit off so i just love like the uh like the timing of all of that and and i'd never heard that joke before like oh i have five books like oh like i mean like i, I read them I, I didn't write them i'd never heard that before so i thought that was i thought that was uh funny it made me laugh but tellerites have purple blood at least some of them do the ones with australian accents do we have we've had we've had romulans with irish accents and now we have tellerites with Australian accents. <laughs> and then there was that Scottish alien. Too, oh, yeah, the Sub Rosa the, alien. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I do want to take a moment to say the, the design work as far as creating an animated version of the Mugato is superb. They look I love it, yeah. wonderful. They they can look sweet and happy. They can look funny. They can look aggressive and scary. And they look absolutely like a high-budget version of the Mugato. Uh, they don't look really... I, I, I was very impressed. I, I was like, yeah, these guys are... You know, get a t-shirt or a poster with these guys would be <laughs> fine. They, they, they look really sharp. I, it's good design work a good design realization i guess uh, yeah if you've ever wanted to see more uh mutos or more uh clamatos 
uh <laughs> we you get you get more in this episode than you, you'll probably ever want to see because that's the this is the infamous scene this is how everyone's going to remember this one from now on as like oh yeah like the uh the 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 time the uh the 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 mugatus were mating uh while boimler and rutherford were, were in the log I think this is where it lost a lot of people. I, I love that scene. I was like, okay. Yeah, I thought it relative worked. Relative to the silly stuff that happens, two apes fucking in the woods is like, like, you know, does a bear shit in the woods? Does a Mugatu fuck in the woods? Yes, this absolutely happens. Uh, I have no problem with this scene. And unlike, it's the most realistic thing in the whole episode, arguably. So Yeah, it's like, the, uh, I don't know. I thought it was like handled pretty well. I mean, like, I apologize for anyone who's like looking at the video of this, and you have to look at like all these uh, images that I had to. Uh, they to look great. Capture, look at but... him. That guy looks really scary. <laughs> but yeah, it felt it felt weird when I was like screenshotting all of this. Like, uh, what what kind of weirdo like keeps these pictures on his computer? No, no, you know? no, no, no. You don't have this in your Star Trek spank bank. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what? I, I think added a lot to it was then when you have the uh, the third Magato who shows up to watch and he kind of the way that it was like all done, you know, without any verbal language. But, you know, like, it looks like he's going to like maybe like fight the other male over, over the female, or, you know, something like that. That kind of stereotypical. But he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. Like, go on. Continue. Continue. Um, I, th- I think maybe like the actual like like the horns uh, stroking. I think that might be. I don't know. If it ever did cross the line, it was probably like at that point. Because it's like, okay, I get I mean, it. I, I get like why he's watching them. You did, but I don't know. It's funny. Like the, the visual imagery. Yeah. I mean, if if you have a problem with it, I just want you to consider like, you know, Ferengi ears, Magato horns. Are they really that different? You know, it's just like a different yeah. uh, infinite <laughs> diversity and infinite combinations with your erogenous zones. All I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 Brian, one other thing I want to bring up to you is that coincidentally enough, I I watched the Voyager episode Threshold yesterday. It just popped up on my on my Star Trek <laughs> rotation. I was I'm at sorry. Threshold. Um, but yeah, I was I was watching it with my partner Antonia, and she had kind of like blocked it out of her memory, and then she was like, "Oh, like this stuff with like the catfish and you know Janeway and Tom Paris turn like these amphibians and mate and have kids." And it's like, yeah, like. This is clearly like more disturbing than anything that Lower Decks has done. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, but um, uh, Jill in our live audience has a comment. The dry clinical comments Boims and Rutherford were making saved the dumb scene. And uh, yeah, I think that was what made it so funny was like their observations of it. Like, like, uh, like, oh, no, they're mating. Oh, no. Like, he's going to assert his dog. What? He's he's watching. Oh, OK. It's, and it's I mean. It's not that bad. I mean, it's like a, a, a consensual my bar thing between is, like three bagatos. I don't know. I'm okay yeah, with it. My bar is the see, the episode where that thing, that spider is suckling boims. And compared to that, this <laughs> made so much more sense and was actually funny and didn't have any problematic behavior on behalf of some other Starfleet officer. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah like there's nothing wrong with the behavior of, of anyone in the scene. It was a. It was a uh, uh, three three beautiful creatures in their habitat having fun. Well, somebody else's habitat, but yes, they don't know that. It's not their fault. There. <laughs> yeah, this this is the habitat they've been forced into by however they got on Frylon Four. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add on the uh, like like 
threshold is like, oh yeah, like the time Tom Paris and Janeway turned into catfish and fucked. This is just gonna be, yeah, the, yeah, the, the episode where like, uh, Magutu's fucked. I'm, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say it different every time, but I'm, I'm running out of, I'm running out of things to say. The Magimatos. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was fine with the scene. I, I, I was might be my favorites. As far as just goofy laughs, this might be my favorite ep- scene in the ep- episode. I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I actually have another thing. I don't know if Aaron is still in our audience, but it's something that he pointed out on social media um, that he said, like, if this had been like the first episode of the show, he would have been pretty nervous. And I probably would have worried if this is how the show started out doing like this kind of um uh, humor. I, I did when but... it comes to the Boimler suckling. I worried. <laughs> I had serious worries. <laughs> well, that wasn't to me. I never until you pointed it out. I never read the uh, the spider cow suckling as like overtly sexual. But I definitely like understand that read on it after you brought it to my attention. Um, but yeah, this is much more. This is much more overt, but less problematic. Oh uh, yeah, and, and, and Daniel Co. in our audience, he's pointing out a uh, comparable to when. Regenerated teen Spock went through Ponfar with Savick. I mean, yeah, that's kind of weird in Star Trek Three, but I, I, I don't know. To me, I think they kind of handled it tastefully. I guess I don't know. It's probably a awkward thing that didn't need to be in the movie, but they. Yeah, I uh, mean, if you were going to do it, it was handled the best yes. uh, as be- the best way it could be handled. That's the uh, perfect you could way to question frame it. whether or not it should have been in the script at all. But <laughs> though, since they were apparently angling for some sort of Savick pregnant plot, plot line in the long run. I guess that would have that, that that they might have had bigger plans for that scene that all got cut. Yeah, and, and I mean, like this is kind of a first for lower decks to go here. I mean, we kind of got close to the stuff in the Cupid's errant arrow episode when Boimler was was nude, uh, playing around with his girlfriend on, and 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 then Mariner like showed up when like Boimler had like no clothes on and he had the little black bar, uh, censorship bar. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like Star Trek has gotten, you know, kind of, uh, into the weeds with, with, with showing explicitly sexual material. I think that bridge was clearly crossed in Star Trek Discovery season one, when we got to see, uh, Klingon boobs for the the first time for everyone who'd been <laughs> anticipating that. Um, but yeah, you also have like, you have Riker and Troy and Star Trek Nemesis, which is a disturbing scene, but, you know, before it gets into, like, the disturbing part of it, it's kind of showing it to Paul and Trip on Enterprise. They've, they've, uh, they, they've, they've, they've showed creatures getting it on before. And Roddenberry was all about the sex. Oh, yeah, read, oh my god, yeah, if, if any of this stuff bothers you, read the novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture, and that'll, uh, that might, uh, reframe things for you. We'll we'll move on. We talked. Uh, we've just like the the three Magatos tired themselves out. <laughs> yeah. I, do you need to mention that? That was I thought that was kind of cute, but also funny. Like the way that like oh yeah, like uh, even when he, Rutherford's even like even the Watcher is like uh, he he tired himself out from watching. But uh, yeah, like just the, the way that like the three of them just like cuddled up to like sleep it off. I thought that was kind of cute. I don't yeah. know. They're cute. That's the th- that's what I like about the design for them is they can be funny, cute, terrifying, uh, and yet also very true to their TOS origins. The animation on the show is so good, and the design work, uh, you know, it looks so 
it looks so good and perfect on screen, so I, I don't think it always sinks in if you're just watching, but if you stop and think about it, these designs must be, like, super well thought out because they're very simple, but, like, they always, like, express the important details, you know? Like, the things that we're familiar with seeing in live action are represented very well in this, you know, 2D animated mm-hmm. format. I, I, I think the, the designers are knocking it out of the park consistently for, you know, 14 episodes straight. Uh, but let's talk about, like, the, the connection with Mariner, and then she's captured captured by the, the Ferengi, and they they learn, like, oh, yeah, Mariner's actually not Black Ops. This is where, like, they finally get, like, the they, they talk it out. Uh, she's unable to catch the Tricorders, and now that, now that she's captured, uh, it's up to Rutherford and Boimler to save the day, so they have to sneak into the compound and MacGyver together. What what looked like a uh, certain Gornag we'll talk about, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're meant to think it's a weapon. They're gonna like shoot these Ferengi, but no, like they're using uh, di- diplomacy and math because they play the diploma math game. And th- they they come up with a business plan. They have a little holographic projector to present it uh, to. The, I guess they're like that bamboo casing. They're just using that as something like hold the projector together because I don't think you could actually yeah. <laughs> build a machine like this out of bamboo components yeah they're saying like hey turn this into like a little uh preserve for the animals and you know you can charge people tickets and they'll buy snacks and merchandise and the ferengi are like oh well you know we kind of don't want to give up our prisoners but we'll all compromise so that's our resolution yeah we have magato land yes i appreciated that mariner's got hoisted by her own petard by spreading rumors that then led to her being abandoned by her friends on the planet and and them all being suspicious of her and everything. I'm like, yeah, serves you right. You, you're always causing problems and behaving in such a strange manner. And, and you really got, you, you, you got a, uh, oh, I, oh, I love that. We call it the cost analysis cannon. Uh, uh, Aaron's letting us know. Uh, he says in the, the live chat, we called it the cost analysis cannon. <laughs> um, but yes, I appreciated Man- uh, uh, Mariner's plan backfiring um, rather, rather badly. I was curious. The justification she gives is it keeps the jerks away. How many jerks are there on the Cerritos? I thought about that, but then I thought about like, okay, almost every woman I've ever known has, um, that I've known well enough to like talk about this type of stuff with, uh, has told me that, uh, they sometimes have to act dishonestly in order to keep, uh, creeps away. Uh, so I I didn't question it too much. I mean, I'd like to think that there wouldn't be like widespread behavior like that in Starfleet, but, uh, it kind of felt, yeah, it felt very false to me that Starfleet, would act like that, especially since we have not seen that behavior. We have a whole lot of Starfleet data points from very throughout the history of Star Trek, even ones focused in this era and this culture. And there's not a lot of stuff that feels like she needs to go to those lengths. Uh, I'm not saying there's never, I'm sure you could dig up something where some bit of bad writing was sat, uh, lay, uh, attached to somebody, but um, I, I mean, yeah, I just felt like, okay, is that, I guess I'll just, uh, uh, it's commenting on today's humans, not Starfleet's humans, and we'll move on. But uh, it, I did uh, Possibly. I mean, I don't know, like, maybe, like, she's had, like, um, like senior officers, like, give her a hard time because, like, she's, you know, always getting demoted and she's tired, like, people, like, 
picking on her. So she wanted to like do something to intimidate them. I don't know. One thing that did kind of disappoint me in this episode was that I was I I liked the the that idea of like oh yeah she had like put out this lie and like spread all these rumors and then by the the end of the episode you know she's uh I guess become like a little bit closer with like Rutherford and Boimler and she's gonna be like a little bit more comfortable being you know honest with them and kind of like you know show her true self but I was hoping that we would get some type of reveal of her backstory. One of the things I've I've really been wondering about why she has a different last name than her parents. First of all, uh, we might have a good explanation for that that a a viewer submitted in our subspace transmissions that we'll get through at the uh, in a moment at the end of the show. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with all of y'all. But uh, Brian, do you have anything else on the on this this A story with the uh, Magatos and the the Mariner Black Ops stuff? I like that Boim- uh, Boimler and Rutherford got a nice, solid win that was entirely their own. Yes, they got it and drew some inspiration from Mariner mm-hmm. telling them to solve the problem, but they solved the problem. They solved it really elegantly and effectively. They did it with com- with not without without a bunch of boot quaking. Uh, you know, they 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 did the Starfleet thing and they did it well. Uh, and they came up with a very Starfleet solution, and I appreciated um, I appreciated that. And that the show was daring enough to say, yeah, compromise is an okay way to defeat the Ferengi. It, it, sometimes you just, you know, negotiate with them. That That's fine. You don't have to beat them up and blow, blow them up and lock them in, pre, in a penal colony. I mean, I don't know if the dude's, like, you know, cutting off these animals' horns. I, I don't know if I would have left them in charge of the... Pr- I get, like, okay, they're so profit-motivated that you can, you know, use that to make them do just about anything. But, like, uh, maybe, like, these these uh, type of preserves, you know, should be ran by a little bit more ethical people. But, yeah, yeah. just for convenience of, like, wrapping up the story. I get it. In the world of lower decks, it felt like the a really solid solution. They're they're not going to want if tourists show up and see the Mugatos being mistreated, they're 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 going to get into trouble with the Fed. They'll that be gets a little bit into like a, oh the invisible <laughs> hand of the free market will regulate itself kind of territory for me. But yeah, I, I get that they don't have. I mean, if you're they don't have the time. Ferengi, but... Yeah, yeah, if you're leveraging Ferengi, you're going to at least be pretending to pay lip service to that to that free market stuff. That's how they think. That's their culture. So. To, to truly end in a compromise, it can't be like 100% perfect satisfactory yeah. win for the heroes. So there you go. Yeah. That's a, yeah. It's a, a compromise. It's diplomath. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I really like seeing the two of them win instead of you know mariner like save the day um and it's like you know at the beginning of the season in strange not strange energies uh Kayshana's eyes open we saw boimler save that away team on the the pack led mission yeah he's the one who got them beamed out so um i did have a question um mariner at one point says are you the last uh, uh, last outpost outpost type ferengi and as i recall you really hate it when the show uh, you said you didn't like it when the show acknowledges that it's have the characters acknowledge that they're in a tv show so i was one thinking oh father he's not gonna like that line because she literally knows the name the title of a star trek episode and that line only makes sense if you take it that way well, there's no other way to take mike that mcmahon has, has explained that um he said that some of these some of these log entries and some of these like uh you know documentations of some of these starfleet missions that a lot of these people seem to like know about a, a lot of them might have like 
assigned episode titles like that. <laughs> I think that's like a bit of a stretch <laughs> that like people's like log entries have um, episode titles. Is there like really did like Riker put like a a log entry of like the best of both worlds parts one and two? And he's talking about like Picard being assimilated. Like like he was like, and- hmm, what's like a <laughs> creative title i can call this oh what if it's the best of both worlds like, and picard just loves coming up with those q puns when he writes his <laughs> oh, reports. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah no so i was curious as to what your opinion was of that last outpost name change yeah. no i didn't i didn't like that that's a little that's a little too right. meta for, for my taste uh i guess i guess we can assume that there is some type of depiction or recording or documentary or whatever about that encounter with uh the Ferengi from Next Generation season one that is called The Last Outpost, but I don't really like that either. That that <laughs> almost seems like you're creating more complications than than what you're actually explaining away. Uh yeah. that is what it is. I I did however like the uh the bartender Honus at the at the end when that that voice off screen is like Honus, if you don't want to work at the bar, don't work at the bar. He's like, I needed those limes yesterday. Like, <laughs> um, I guess uh, I did seem like that they were like we there. Were, this episode like had like a week of skipped time where the Ferengi retooled their entire operation and built all that new stuff. Yes, I, I guess there's a whole missing week pulled out of the last few minutes of the show because suddenly they're all they have they've converted everything into this big fancy place and uh yeah it's a little bit uh, of the same facility that they they had before these i think they just took down their their force field the kind of tholian web looking force field grid thing yeah. around it and um hung up some banners but uh yeah it i don't, I don't like know how much at time least a, a, several days there i mean it's not a big deal but I, i'm sure it happens a lot of the times <laughs> when the ship's traveling at warp the, I guess the other comment on this particular thread, uh, plot thread, Mariner starts a rumor about Boimler the M- and twins. Yes. But it's the sort of rumor that could increase the amount of poaching on Mugatos, which struck me as... Oh, yeah, she form. said they got superpowers from the horns. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, do you really want to be encouraging that? Can't you come up with something that's not going to make the endangered species life worse? <laughs> yeah, uh, they probably should have had something else there. Um, maybe they drink some of the orange Ferengi blood. Uh, I mean, in the end, it sounds like they're just the show is just making fun of environmental conservation at the end. It's not really that important. <laughs> but it's not... uh, well, let's talk about our beast story, where our other lower deck quartet member i i don't know the 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 other part of the the lower deck beta shift quad of uh, on the cerritos uh but tendy has a mission from dr tiana to go uh get physicals from a a list of of crew members and she's uh running around the ship trying to to scan everyone who who didn't show up for their physical we have this cool little montage i actually like really liked the 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 music the score was like really cool i think that's part of the joke it's supposed to be like the for something like more epic or exciting than someone just like showing up and like running a tricorder over someone but when we get the reveal that dr tiana is the the final patient who did not submit a a physical and i guess brian you would have much more experience with this than me but this is supposed to be a spoof of having to take a cat to the vet i guess and yes and and uh i thought it was 
it was funny. Like some of the things that I don't necessarily like about Lower Decks. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't laughing. I laughed hard. My wife uh, really loved this stuff. Yeah. For, uh, for those who don't know, scene. Holly, uh, Brian's wife, who's appeared on the show, um, uh, but but she's a, a huge. Uh, well, both of you are huge cat lovers, but she especially right. just, uh, yes adores yes, she's, she's cats. She, she likes cats the way fa- oh, the way fathery likes Star Trek. So um, <laughs> that's a lot, but I believe it. I know, but it is. It's absolutely true. Um, and so I I did feel they missed a trick that the scanner wasn't in like a a kind of MRI scanning thing like Flox's sick bay and then they you get the scene of trying to shove the cat into the cat carrier <laughs> trying to get it in no in go oh, in yeah. but uh talk about but, getting a cat uh, scan but but the broken arm twist actually made Tendy Tendy look pretty badass so I. I guess. Oh, that was another big gross out factor though. That was like, you see like the broken bone, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I think just the combination of all of it, this episode had a, had a lot, you know, with the, uh, Boimler throwing up, he, he pukes during the, the fight in the opening and he gets hit by Mariner. Uh, we have shacks eating dung. We have, uh, Ferengi stabbed through the chest. We have Tellerites getting their heads bit off. We have, uh, Mugato on Mugato action. Uh, we have, people stroking their horns to the the spectacle of that and then we have like broken bone doesn't bother me i don't mind the show going in this territory i i think it's just tame enough that it doesn't feel outside of the realm of what i'd be okay with in star trek i guess but i can understand if if people who aren't used to that who don't like watching shows that do this type of stuff but they do like watching star trek i completely (laughs) understand why this might be a frustrating experience for you I, I I laughed so hard when Tendy they Tendy did the uh, when there was the oh yeah I broke my arm oh yeah right you're just trying oh 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 my you know because that happened to me I was upstairs and my little sister suddenly hears this big thump and my little sister's downstairs screaming Brian Brian I broke my arm and I run down there okay I'm sure you're overreacting come down the arm is distinctly bent halfway down the forearm is distinctly Yikes. bent like by a, a, a 30 degrees halfway down I'm like oh uh, no 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 you definitely broke your arm okay then uh, let's get some uh, get an ambulance here it's because my parents weren't home at the time but uh, but yeah so I had to admit i flashed back on that and i was like i could totally relate to that moment there I yeah i'm sure I think, yeah you were you were dr tiana um <laughs> i thought tendy was tendy was quite badass with her i'm still gonna scan you even though my arm's broken oh yeah I and like she stays that. conscious just long enough to do it and then like passes out like right after getting the scan uh but it's okay because dr tiana nurses her up and also also uh nurses uh shacks who I I guess it's it's questionable if Tiana was like I guess actually going to like the Cation uh mating stage or like going into heat last week when she wanted the uh the statue but it turned out she just wanted the box but I I don't know she definitely seems like um she's uh ready for Shax now that he's resurrected but they had their flirtation in the you know the first season we saw them kiss on the bridge one time and then uh Tiana had told Mariner that she wanted a uh, she wanted to pursue something with 
with Shaxx. Did Tendi pass out? I, I missed that. I Yeah, yeah. She passes out right oh, after oh, Wow. Uh, my my little sister in middle school is more badass than Tendi. She she didn't pass out. No. <laughs> she she did definitely was in sort of a panicked adrenaline buzzed you know, kind of thing that was not a very good mental state, but but she she didn't pass out. Um but let me read this uh, comment from Boatwreck. He says, another tired cat joke sigh. And that is something that I did think of uh, last week. We kind of complimented Lower Decks and how they had held off on the cat joke so much that seeing Tiana playing in the, the box was okay and actually quite yeah. funny last week. Um, I don't yeah. want, every time we see Tiana, I don't want there always to be like, oh, look, she's just like a cat. So I, I don't know if we needed that back-to-back two weeks in a row. My wife is totally down for that, but uh, <laughs> I agree. I kind of wish they'd waited. They hadn't run this episode right back to back with that other one. Yeah, This could have um, been a B story in any episode. You know, this didn't have like thematically. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the Mariner yeah. black ops and Ferengi capturing Magatos. Um, it really yeah. doesn't tie into that at all. I, I do think the, cha- uh, the other thing we can say about the chasing Dr. Tiana down is, that qualifies as something that you just would never get in a live action Star Trek. Not a, even a live action Star Trek comedy would they have to do something <laughs> like this. This is definitely on that list of things you would never see in a live action Star Trek. Oh, and um, no. Go ahead. Uh, one, one thing that I, I noticed from the, the pad that Tindy's carrying around is that it said that uh, Stevens' first name is Steve, which is just kind of funny that he's Steve Stevens. It's kind of like a <laughs> Lancel Lannister. Oh, it's a Game of Thrones reference, but uh, I know I know Brian hasn't seen Game of Thrones, but uh, probably almost everyone else has. But yeah, but it also like it mentioned like some characters we had seen before, like Counselor uh, Maglimo and uh, Jet Manhaver, and we actually see jet and we also see a chief laundry was in crisis point the previous episode written by ben rogers so he he had him he's the guy who like in the hollow suite like uh when when tindy was was being like a, a barbaric orion and like helping mariner uh, raid the cerritos he's the guy who said who called her like dirty orion he said, I don't know if it's supposed to be like an Irish accent or maybe like a Scandinavian accent. It's just like that one line. But she's like, Lundry? Like, why would you say that about me? But yeah, she, that's who that's who she scanned in the holodeck, who is like surfing with a beach babe. And she showed up in a hang glider. Just like a quick look. You know, speaking of things you'd probably only see in animation. You know, just like a quick little visual gag like that. It would be an incredibly expensive and difficult special effect to pull off in live action. <laughs> Whereas it's probably easier here because you don't have to animate the legs as much. <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. just have a fl- fly through the air. You just have her like drift um, in the frame and then drift away. Oddly, the thing that annoyed me, I mean, I was like, okay, we're doing another cat joke. But at least I am laughing, so I guess it's okay, I guess. But the thing that bothered me was when Tiana says, oh, I was hoping you would give up before you got to that point on the list. Why did you ask Tendi of all people to do this chore if you wanted her to give up but without finishing it? This is not the person to ask for if to, to get somebody to give up and not complete the mission. That's right? a good point because <laughs> this is the person that you just sent 
you know, on like the important secret mission to go get your box last week. And now she's the person who you think will like give up. So, yeah, it's a little bit of like characters that's doing whatever the story needs them to do type of writing. Yeah. So oddly, that bugged me more than than the, uh, than the acting like a cat, even though it shouldn't. The cat thing is definitely weirder and less likely to show up in a more rational Star Trek production. But you know what bugged me about it uh-huh. was with Stevens. I think he 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 was in Strange Energies and I think he was called lieutenant stevens then but he had the rank peps of a lieutenant commander if i remember correctly and i guess i could have just assumed that uh one of the the two gold pips on his collar one of them was a piece of corn except on (laughs) tendy's pad it says lieutenant commander steve stevens but then when she's uh, confronting him to get his dna sample you know when we find out he needs to drink more milk and has bad bones but she calls him lieutenant and it's like no you call lieutenant commander commander well, okay, so but, more of a verbal protocol thing. Yeah. I mean, like, Star Trek's gotten that wrong before, though, to be fair. Yeah. And and Discovery, I think, got that wrong uh, pretty recently also. Like, somewhere in season three, there is a lieutenant yeah. commander being called lieutenant. Might have been in season two. I don't know. But, yeah, that's a, that's the thing that bugged me in the, the Tindy storyline. <laughs> but it was cool to see Kayshawn and Jed again, even though, like, they didn't speak, but they show up. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe Kayshawn is the jerk that's hitting on uh, um, Mariner, maybe because he was pretty in the face in his, in the face with the, that other girl in in his episode. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the one he was trying to pick up uh, in the bar. Yeah, yeah, I, remember yeah that. I guess maybe that's what Mariner well, wants to get rid of. Aaron also pointed out that her ex—I I don't know if I'd call him an ex—but the guy who. Well, maybe maybe they did say that he was her ex. I, I didn't know if they had just like gone on a date together. Or maybe they were more serious. But the dude who believed the Dominion War never happened. Um, so that dude, I guess, uh, was... You remember, he was kind of bothering her in that episode. Okay. All right. Well, so there is at least a precedent that these people are on this ship anyway. So Yeah, this is kind of a loser ship. To be fair, if it was going to happen in Starfleet, probably on the Cerritos. Yeah. All right. I complaint retracted. Any any other observations on the uh, the the TV story? I, I was undecided on the give me twenty cubic centimeters of space <laughs> simply because a cubic centimeter is in fact a unit of space, and twenty cubic centimeters is not all that much space at all. So if you don't know what the CC is when they they're throwing around medical terminology, then I guess it works fine, but is I don't know if it's better or worse because it is an actual unit of space, but it's not a lot of space. <laughs> they should have had someone was... <laughs> someone say that. Like one of these other nurses should have been like, "That's actually not that much space." That would have made it funnier, I think. Or at least you know, five hundred cubic centimeters of space, but or something. But uh, I don't know. That's definitely getting into the weeds there, and I'm not even sure mm-hmm. I don't like it. I, I kind of feel ambivalent, have mixed feelings on it, like so many other jokes in this episode. But yeah, I, I kind of like that we got to see Tindy, you know, be like a little bit more assertive, and they they, they keep giving us like the, these little these little tidbits of growth. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they continue that and they're able to like evolve the characters because sometimes it does feel like they're evolving the characters on the show, but sometimes it does feel like they're you know going like three steps forward, two steps backward. And it's not as much growth as we thought. Um, so I don't know. It'll yeah. be, I think after we get two seasons, we'll have a better idea of, okay, how much is the show going to maintain the status quo and how much of it is going to yeah. 
to grow the characters. I mean, in a drama, the reason you start out with flawed characters is that so you have something to arc them through and develop them and they can get better. I don't know if those rules really apply for what's essentially a sitcom in space, but uh, it is, yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of comedies probably do it, and I I don't watch a ton of sitcoms. Like, I don't watch, like, The Office or The Big Bang Theory or, like, all of that stuff, all of, like, these popular sitcoms, but I would think that they have been able to, you know, tell those arcs, Uh, so I think it is possible. some do. Uh, in other cases, somebody does something silly and it becomes such a thing that they just that character de- <laughs> degenerates into a complete caricature who 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 does that particular type of silly thing because that's what audiences like. So, and they 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 become more cartoonish as the show goes on. But they're usually not the leads; they're usually a supporting character who has a running gag, gag certain running gags attached to them. Well, lastly, we have this uh, C story to talk about that I, I don't I don't know if the episode really needed this, but uh, I guess it was didn't didn't really hurt anything. But I don't know if it added much. But yeah, the idea of this character, Mister Hyde, who I uh, just was told is voiced by Paul F. Tompkins, who plays Counselor Maglimo. So here he's he's playing this alien, Mister Hyde, who is buying the the Magato horns, has his ship destroyed by the Cerritos tractor beam, even though it was using the lowest tractor factor. A funny I line. I love but, tractor factor. Yeah. That is so going into my role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he, he was a scammer. He's a con artist. He, he, he was just trying to guilt them into giving them a shuttle and taking all the captain's trophies. And, and then she learns from her husband, uh, Admiral Freeman, that like, oh yeah, there's some con artist in that sector. And so she... She goes and gets everything back. And I, I did look. I didn't notice anything new in, like, her trophies. I don't know. Maybe, um, I don't know if we saw, like, the Gorn doll before, but I feel like we had. And there were, there are some bottles when he's in the shuttle with all of her loot. There's some bottles of the Andorian brandy or, I, I don't know if it was wine or brandy or what. It's what Shran drank with Archer in Enterprise. But I, we've seen that on the show before, so... I, I didn't I didn't think any of this was noteworthy for our Gorn egg section, but, but yeah, they, they, they take their shuttle back and they, they assign him, I guess, to go do community service, kinda like off the books. Instead of him going to Federation Penal Colony, he's gonna go shovel Magato dung. I guess there's no protocol for Starfleet accidentally destroying a civilian vessel? I mean, don't they have space insurance or something for that kind of thing? Uh, there'd be some she, compensation. She maybe... Yeah, there would be some sort of protocol that that if Starfleet has to accidentally blow up your shuttle to save the planet K from anomaly of the week, that that you know this is how the the procedure you go through. I guess maybe she's trying to keep it under the books because she doesn't want her insurance to go up. I.e., she doesn't want to lose that promotion. So maybe that's the best headcanon for it is that, yes, she could get Starfleet to pay for this guy's shuttle or whatever, replace it, but she doesn't want it being on her record that she did it. So, okay, that's that's my new headcanon on that. Um, <laughs> no, no, she didn't want it on her record. That was the reason yeah. why when when the Admiral husband is asking her, like, uh, you haven't had any, like, uh, ship accidents out there, have you? And she's like, no, 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 no accident. Because, you know, she wants the transfer to a capital ship. Well, yeah, but they, they never mentioned that there is an insur- some sort of spaceship insurance or, you know, something like that that would handle these sorts of incidents. You'd they, think there'd have they, to be it, some, like, that's something that comes up yeah. with, like, uh, you know, superhero stories, is that there's a lot of, like, collateral damage 
you know, like when like heroes are fighting villains and they like, you know, blow up big parts of the city or like, you know, throw cars at each other and stuff like that. It's like, like who's, who's liable for like all the, all those damages, you know, it's like a bunch of property damage. Someone has to pay for that. You know, some insurance company or so like, how do you file a claim based on that? You know, so. Yeah, we we don't want the Starfleet to be running around smashing things up and then leaving other people to pick up the pieces. We'd like to imagine they clean up their messes. And and again, it really just needed a single line about, well, why don't we just file a claim? No, no, we can't do that. I won't get my promotion. Boom. Problem solved. Uh, The guy's ship was called Lady Jane. Yeah, and then he renamed the Joshua Tree something. We've seen the Joshua Tree on the show before. It's named after a park in California, like all the shuttles. But when he's flying around in it, you see the name is kind of scratched out. And then there's some like graffiti writing a new name on it. But it's in an alien language, I think. We can't really read it. It made me think of Lady J, the, the, the women's uh, the nickname for the the women's pee bucket <laughs> that they can that designed for female uh urinary er, females i have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about there, there's this bottle that you, women can use to go to the bathroom say in a small airplane like astronauts or like, like is that what you yeah. use in space i i mean i guess there's probably a version of it in space uh, that for that oh. but yes uh i mean i guess uh, I've, I've never used a lady one, so. j <laughs> Make, so, makes sense yeah, i don't know what that is i guess but yeah it's probably not things women make a big deal about, but yes, it, 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 it's uh so I don't know if that was an intentional reference, but I popped into my head when, when they, when they said it was the lady Jane, I was like, is that, <laughs> if the show episode wasn't gross enough for you, you could imagine that he named a <laughs> yeah, ship, we'll make it even ship after a, a woman's pee holder. <laughs> so... I, I just want to point out that the writer of the episode, Ben Rogers, you know, doing crisis point and doing this episode, from just, I, I have no evidence for this. I haven't like collected any data to see like what episodes are actually considered the best or the worst of Lower Decks. Or just on my observations on social media, it seems to me that Ben Rogers wrote the most well liked episode of the show and the most disliked episode <laughs> of the show. So that's kind of an accomplishment. But you know, neither one of us had a big issue with this. Like, I think we both just thought it was kind of a you know run of the mill lower decks outing. Which you know, those are fun for me. I, I like the show. It's um, uh, it, it's you know, each episode typically does a few things. I think oh, that's a little too silly, but I am always able to forgive it because of how much fun I'm having, and that was how I felt on this one. Yeah. Um, and again, we get some more compromise uh, stuff, though in this case it's under a bit of compromise over fraud and the compromise gets undone. Yeah. Um, but we're still playing with different aspects of compromise. Compromise risks getting you getting ripped off, too. You know, that's another side of compromise. Um, so it's uh, it, it, it adds to the theme. It, it thematically tied in fairly nicely to to, to that part that aspect whereas there really wasn't any compromise with dr tiana so yeah yeah that um, one didn't really tie in um with the yeah. other themes but. i suppose there's also a theme about when to break the rules kind of running through this uh, to, to elegantly and gracefully break the rules we 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 don't report those ferengi for their illegal horn trade we instead just reshape things so that they're not going to do it anymore uh freeman doesn't report that she blew up this guy's ship 
there are various rule breakages that happen, but it's all part of it. That's another compromise. We're compromising with the rule book where we're not, we're not giving the rule book, everything the rule book wants or everything the Admiralty wants. Uh, even if they don't really, aren't really part of the negotiation, it's still kind of a give and a take here. We're going to follow some of the rules, but not all of the rules and, and whatnot. So even there, we're kind of seeing this thematic compromise thing. Well, anything else to add to the discussion of this episode before we go into the, the Gorn eggs, or should I just go ahead and jump in? Jump in. All right. Um, well, we have several this week, but yeah, these are our Easter eggs, continuity connections, and in-jokes that I found in the episode. We'll see if, if anyone spotted anything I missed. But starting off, I already brought it up, but the title of the episode, Magato Gamato, uh, that was one of the funniest things I saw in this episode because that is, of course, a reference to the misspelling. But now we've learned it's not a misspelling. That's still accurate to call it the gamato. Because <laughs> that's how the, the actor uh, Janice Prohaska, I think is how you say his name, was, was credited in pr- the Private Little War uh, episode of the original series. He also played the Horda, by the way. I, th- I think maybe uh, one or two other creatures on the original series. That was the episode that introduced the the creature, the Magutu is how Shatner said it in that episode. But yeah, that episode, they were like inconsistent with it. You know, it's Shatner said Magutu. Uh, other people were saying Magato. Uh, it was supposed to be called the Gumato, but DeForest Kelly had a hard time saying that. So they changed it. But you actually see the creature in that episode if you if you hadn't seen it. And it, it bites Kirk and poisons him. And that's a whole thing there. So I uh, really iconic design. Um, I love it, and I think it, it was something that you know Berman era Star Trek would have been embarrassed to show. So I'm glad that it's back now. We can have Magato representation uh, again. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty cheesy, but I think it's part of the charm of Star Trek is that <laughs> cheesy a bit of cheesy. So I mean, tribbles are, tribbles are cheesy too. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I guess tribbles are easy to forgive because they're such a simple design, just a little furball, but. Yeah. In the opening of the episode, we have Anbo Jutsu, which was a form of martial arts originally introduced on the Next Generation Season 2 episode, The Icarus Factor, when William Riker fights his, his dad, Kyle Riker. And they have the same design uh, armor and staffs that we saw in this episode. The encounter with the Mugato near the beginning of the episode, that was two Denobulans, and that's the same species as Dr. Phlox from Enterprise. And we see them do their face puff move, their little self-defense <laughs> move where their faces inflate. That's what the doctor did in the Enterprise episode, Home. Um, they're also uh, talking about drinking uh, Ractagino, the Klingon coffee. Uh, the big one here, and I know that our animated series expert in the audience, Aaron, got a real big kick out of this. I got a real big kick out of it, uh, being a huge uh, animated series fan. But a Kazenti on screen for the first time in decades in Starfleet in the Cerritos bar. I love seeing the Kazenti. If, if you don't know what that is, that is the uh, cat-like alien species. Not to be confused with Cations. They're the, these are the mean ones that were in the episode of The Slaver Weapon. And we also saw them in the uh, the Time Trap. There's one sitting on like that, that council of aliens in the animated series. And also in a lot of Larry Niven books. Yes, they're also in the completely other unrelated franchise uh, that Larry Niven wrote, the uh, the Ringworld book series. And he uh, wrote the episode The Slaver Weapon, which featured them in, in the animated series. 
But they they get mentioned in you know Picard recently, and they, there's a few animated series episodes they don't show up that they're they're still mentioned in. Uh, I don't even know if this should count as a Gorneg at this point because we've seen this knife a lot on the show. So I think I'm going to retire it from the Gornegs. But I just love the design so much. When when Mariner is playing that knife game on her hand at the bar, kind of like Bishop and Aliens, uh, that is the Klingon duck tog originally introduced in Star Trek Three, the search for Spock. But I feel like if I keep bringing it up, it's kind of like calling a, a tricorder an Easter egg or a phaser. So that's uh, the last time I'll mention it. Just wanted to give it a proper send off because I like that design. We learn that Mariner had previously served on the Atlantis. Uh, there were two Starfleet ships called the Atlantis, I guess, because they're two different registry numbers. Uh, but we see them on, like how we learn about a lot of ships in Starfleet, we see them on like the boards and the star bases. And um, Conspiracy, there's an NCC-72007. And then uh, that was that was season one of the Next Generation. Then you know next year season two in the episode Measure of a Man, we see a board in that star base that says USS Atlantis NCC three two seven one zero. So somehow a year later, there's an other USS Atlantis, but it has a lower registry number than the one we saw the year before. I don't know, but maybe uh, who who knows? Sometimes the registry numbers don't make sense. They make sense like. 90% of the time, like Michael Okuda really tried to keep those consistent. And there's like 10% of the time where they don't. I, I guess I would rather have two ships with the same name and different uh, registry numbers than two ships with the same registry number and different names. <laughs> if they go. have to screw it up, this is the direction to screw it up in. I mean, so. there's a Miranda-class Saratoga in Star Trek Four, and then there's another one in the Deep Space Nine episode Emissary, but they have two different registry numbers. But I always thought it'd be cooler if there was like the same ship and just got like, renumbered for some reason. Yeah. But who knows? There's a that that could be a whole uh, discussion all on its own as Starfleet registry numbers, and most people probably wouldn't want to listen to it. But I like star dates, and even I don't care about <laughs> registry numbers. <laughs> we get a name drop for Tuvok though when they're running through all the uh, Starfleet intelligence, you know, putting undercover operatives on ships, and that yeah, we saw that with Tuvok when he went undercover to infiltrate the Maquis and the. Star Trek Voyager premiere episode Caretaker. And they also mentioned the Dominion War from Deep Space Nine. And then later, you know, when Rutherford is uh, scared of Mariner, he he accuses he, her of being Section 31. So all that stuff is mentioned. Uh, the Ferengi in this episode are using energy whips. Uh, that was how they first appeared in the episode that Mariner name drops the last outpost when they were the weird, uh, you know, crouched down uh, Ferengi. In the little martial arts training sequence we see with Kayshawn and Jet, uh, people are wearing the very generic white gi, I think it's called, but, you know, martial arts outfit. But we also see people with, like, you know, little white hoods over the top of their heads. Uh, the first time we saw that was in Star Trek The Next Generation Code of Honor, when Tasha Yar was demonstrating the holodeck being used for martial arts or hand-to-hand -hand combat training. She fought this little holographic ninja who had some type of you know, hood over his head like that. If you look at the Ferengi compound, uh, you can see a old-school Ferengi-type shuttlecraft. Um, we uh, saw these in The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Uh, probably the most famous time was when Quark, Ram, and Nog went back in time in one in the episode Little Green Men, but the very first appearance of that ship was in the Next Generation Season 3 episode The Price. 
Mariner asked if the Ferengi had ever heard of Quark. Of course, that is a reference to a uh, more interesting, more nuanced type of character, Ferengi. I guess it was the joke there. But yeah, our uh, bartender from Deep Space Nine, who she probably knew, she he probably served her drinks since you know she was at yeah, yeah, Deep I'm, Space Nine. I'm sure she knew Quark, <laughs> and I'm sure Quark knew her. <laughs> the canon that Boimler and Rutherford construct <laughs> to uh, present the uh, the cost analysis presentation uh, to the Ferengi, uh, that was uh, Kirk's Gorn fighting gun. From Arena, made out of uh, bamboo and diamonds and sulfur. That might be the, my second favorite joke about that cannon. The first being, <laughs> see if you can find some sort of primitive lathe. <laughs> and then the uh, last thing I caught was uh, after they, they give their little presentation and flex their diplomath skills, uh, Mariner says, uh, that's the power of math in celebration with, with Shaxx. That is a quote of Ensign Tilly from season oh. two of Star Trek Discovery. She said, uh, that's the power of math people celebrating when they brought in that uh, that dark matter asteroid in the uh, season two opening episode, Brother. So that's all the, uh, the Gorn eggs I found in this episode. If I missed anything, though, please let me know, and I'll try to give you credit for it uh, next week. Uh, I'll share it in our subspace transmissions. This is some of the uh, feedback we've gotten from our audience. So if you have any thoughts on this episode, uh, I have a post on the Text Trek Facebook group where you can comment. I have a, uh, a tweet on Twitter that you can reply to. You can comment on this video on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube or you know, however you want to get in contact with us and let us know your thoughts on this episode. We might share it next week. Now we're going to share some stuff from last week's episode. On YouTube, we have a comment from a longtime viewer, Diggs Briarthorn, who said, most likely Beckett, talking about Mariner, Beckett is using her middle name, so she's not associated with her parents. She's named after the writer's sister, Beckett Mariner McMahon. I knew that Mike McMahon had a sister named Beckett. I didn't know her middle name is Mariner, so I think Diggs Briarthorn is onto something. I think that might be why Mariner is, is called, uh, yeah, Ensign Beckett Mariner, uh, that she doesn't want to use her parents' last name of Freeman, since they're both, you know, mother and father or both last name freeman it's weird that their kid has a different name so that that explains it for me i'm just going to assume that until i'm told otherwise at this point then on uh twitter b loves trek said i loved it so much and was so thrilled with the non-binary representation also the ds9 references really got me good so yeah cool that uh that mariner mentioned uh the non-binary community uh you know people have traditionally been overlooked and i'm glad that this is now the second star trek show that has uh, attempted to, you know, offer some representation. And uh, Alexis McKinney says, I have never felt more seen and heard by Trek in all my life. My Voy, my Paris, and Mariner visiting all the sexualities. Life is complete. <laughs> Peter says, As someone who grew up with Voyager, I positively loved it. I always wondered what happened to the crew after their homecoming, and it's good to know that Tom remained in Starfleet, became a full lieutenant and a celebrity, and doesn't appear to have any stigma still attached to him. And then another longtime viewer, uh, Jude Beacom, says, I don't think enough people are talking about how we finally have our first Deep Space Nine alum in Kurtzman-era Star Trek. 
And uh, yeah, that that is true. Technically, uh, we have a Deep Space Nine person on uh, modern Star Trek shows with uh, with Mariner. Now, now that we know that she is there, I think we're gonna get a flashback episode or something to Deep Space Nine. Or it would be crazy if they did like a time travel, like Trials and Tribulations. Like they're going back to like a Deep Space Nine episode. But I think that's really cool. I know that um, Tawny Newsom, who voices Mariner. Was is a big Deep Space Nine fan. I think that's her favorite Star Trek show, based on you know things that she said on the uh, official Star Trek podcast, the Pod Directive. She's kind of like the uh, the same age as me, so like she is kind of um you know growing up in the '90s when Deep Space Nine was was on the air, and you know she was watching it new with with her family, and uh, she, you know she's talking about how like it was a big deal for like her dad and and her to like see like this uh, black father on TV and be like the lead of that show and stuff. And so I think that's really cool that she has that connection to deep space nine. I guess that they're building that into her character. And, you know, me as someone who has like a big connection to deep space nine, I think that's really cool also. And uh, yeah, I hope that we see more of that. Yeah. Well said, <laughs> but that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off, but we'll be back live next week, uh, Friday at seven thirty central to be discussing the next episode. And until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.